Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always a little bit of entertainment. This is episode 101 of the Try Talking Sport podcast and I am so excited to bring the podcast on its next chapter with lots of fabulous interviews planned and incredible guests lined up to inspire and motivate us all over the coming weeks and months. I am loving my training routine at the moment. I have really gotten back into the swing of triathlon training. For the past couple of years, the focus of my training has been heavily weighted towards the bike, which is my favourite discipline. But I am also really enjoying being back in the pool and getting out for a run is less of a mental hardship than it was only a few months ago. That, in my opinion, is massive progress. I have yet to sign up to any races, but I'm training, in inverted commas, for my trip to Lanzarote next month as part of Oliver Harkin's primed coaching gang. I really hope I don't get dropped too early on the hills, you know, but if I do, I'll be freewheeling to the nearest coffee shop on the way home. Hopefully when I come home, I'll have a better sense of where I'm at with my fitness and training and could pick a race or two to sign up to. Last Saturday was my first outdoor gig of 2023. I emceed the RTE Operation Transformation 5K Fun Run in the Phoenix Park and was delighted to be invited back to the event again this year. It was such a super morning. About 5,000 people took part, many of them completing their first ever 5K walk, never mind completing a 5K run. And the buzz from early morning right through until the final finisher really was something special. It was simply brilliant to see so many people coming together to take on their 5k challenge. Congratulations to everyone who took part in the event. There are lots of events coming up over the coming weeks and months in the Phoenix Park, including the Athletics Ireland Irish Runner Series across May, June and July, and of course the Great Ireland Run, which takes place on the 16th of April. There are no shortage of events to choose from on the Try Talking Sport website, from the gravel biking events to running events, as well as a mix of triathlon, duathlon, and I think there's a couple of aquathlon events listed there too. Be sure to check them out and get your race place locked in for 2023. Now, speaking of events, I was delighted to be invited to speak with participants on the Triathlon Ireland Women in Sport Leadership Programme this week, sharing insight on my announcing career and some key ideas on effective communication. And I'm really looking forward to hosting the upcoming Nuisan webinar on Tuesday, March the 7th with John Phelan of Life Fit Physio and Bike Fit Physio, who will share insight into the dynamics of cycling and pro tips on injury prevention. Be sure to sign up to the free event on our website and don't forget you can get 15% discount on all new Ascend products online using the code TTS15. Now to this week's episode with Irish Olympian and world champion gymnast Rhys McLenaghan. Rhys has been blazing a trail in the sport of gymnastics since first taking up the sport as a young boy. And despite the lure of swimming and of football, he knew from an early age that gymnastics was the sport that would capture his heart and his mind. He has had huge success in the sport and his star continues to rise as he performs intricate, technical and fast-paced routines on the pommel horse. With a trophy cabinet bursting at the seams, he was Ireland's first gymnast to win medals at European and world level and Ireland's first gymnast to reach an Olympic final. Some of his key achievements include becoming a world champion on the pommel horse and winning a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games last year. In 2021, he competed in his first Olympic Games in Tokyo, finishing seventh in the final. Prior to that, Rhys has won bronze in the World Championships in Germany and won gold at the World Cup in Slovenia in 2019. And in 2018, he became European champion and Commonwealth champion. 
In 2016, as a junior gymnast, he won the first European Championship medal in history for Ireland, taking silver on the pommel horse at the Junior European Gymnastics Championship. Now based in Dublin, Reese, along with his coach Luke Carson, have one golden goal in mind over the coming months, and that is winning gold at the 2024 Paris Olympics. At 24 years of age, Reese is determined, committed and dedicated to his craft. His love of gymnastics and passion for success driving him to strive every single day to be the best gymnast that he can possibly be. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Reese McLenaghan, thank you so much for joining me on the Try Talking Sport podcast. I'm delighted that you are here as a guest on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, Reese, it's a big change from triathletes, rowers, runners, cyclists, swimmers. We have our first elite gymnast on the show and I'm really excited to chat with you today. You have had an incredible 2022 but before we go into talking about the year that you've had or maybe the last couple of years that you've had I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your background in sport generally. Yeah I mean my background is in sport is that it it, it shaped my life. Um, I've always been a very, very active kid growing up and I tried many sports. Um, I'd done swimming, I'd done football, um, field hockey even when I was in school. Um, but gymnastics was always just the one that stuck with me. So um, I made the decision at about eight years old to take gymnastics more seriously than all of the rest of the sports because I was I was having to leave gymnastics training early to go to football practice. And then I just remember saying to my mom, like, I just, I just want to be in the gym all the time. It didn't, it didn't weigh up for me going to football practice. And I just wanted to, um, to stay in that gymnastics center. And were you a good footballer? Um, I, I know how to kick a ball. <laughs> Probably not, um, too well now, but, uh, no, I, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I, I, I dub myself as quite good at every sport that I try. Eight years, so you started gymnastics at the age of six and you were with Rathgale Gymnastics Club in Bangor. Um, two years on, you're making the decision to ditch other sports to follow a passion for gymnastics. That's a very young age to be deciding on your future sport and sticking with it uh, right yeah. through now. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I even started uh, gymnastics just at my local leisure centre. You know, it was as basic as that, that I, it wasn't even a dedicated gymnastics club that I went to. It was just, um, you know, the standard PE equipment that had the benches, maybe like a mini trampoline. Uh, but even that basic setup was enough to make me fall in love with the sport, to just see an environment built to facilitate a, a crazy kid more or less um to push the to push the body to the limits to push my mind to the limits and keep me active as a kid and I I couldn't think of anything better and could you sit still as a kid Reese or were you always climbing trees and running around the place and doing things like every other kid no I would definitely spend more time up a tree than I would um I would have kicking a football or um even running about the streets I was always climbing trees I was always playing on my garden trampoline um and I think when my mom and dad seen that, they, you know, it was quite obvious what sport was really for me. Taking up the sport then and, and looking beyond when you were like in your teens and carrying on into your early 20s, um, you've had quite a, a career in the sport at such a young age. Like it's absolutely incredible to look back at all that you've achieved since you did actually start focusing on gymnastics. Yeah, it, gymnastics, it turns professional very early. It takes up 
a lot of your life and it becomes more of a lifestyle rather than that that hobby or sport that a kid does um you know twice a week i was in the gym six days a week training for four hours every day um from the age of 10 um from the age of 10 onwards so that that really demonstrates how much of a, a part of my life gymnastics was so it it felt like i went professional very early um of course i was still at school i, I was leaving school to drive to training straight away getting changed in the car doing my homework in the car it just became a regular part of my life um but i loved it uh, you know all of those all of those difficult days where i maybe was too tired to go to the gym and stuff you know it it all kind of got pushed to the side because of my love for the sport. And I feel like that is just the overarching theme of my entire gymnastics career, even to this day. The reason I'm still able to do it through difficult times is because I love to do it. What is it about gymnastics that you absolutely love? I think being able to push your body to the limits, um, being able to push your mind to the limits, you feel superhuman when you do these skills, you know, I'm sure you've seen some of the videos of me maybe doing a double twisting, double somersault off a bar. Like people see that and can't even comprehend it. And the feeling that you get when you're doing something that is incomprehensible like that, it makes you feel superhuman. And just the, the whole learning process of that when you're growing up in the sport where, you know, of course, you're not going to start off with a double somersault off the bar. You're going to start off with, you know, just swinging around the bar. That's an achievement in itself. Then you start to learn how to let go of the bar, do a somersault. That's an achievement. And then you build your way up. And it's such a great representation of life and that progress of life. In the gymnastics hall, that progress is demonstrated so um, so vividly. And that's why I fall in love with it. During your school years, how did you get the balance right between gymnastics and your school studies? Were you as dedicated to your schoolwork as you were to your gymnastics? Were you a good student or were you trying to get out of school early to get to the gym to go do your training? I, I wish I was sitting here saying that I was as dedicated to schoolwork as I was gymnastics. But I guess that's that um, that imbalance. Um, I was obsessed about gymnastics and not so much so about school. And um, it's it probably didn't. It wasn't because of my gymnastics that my schoolwork wasn't up to scratch and you know I, I was a little bit of a messer in a classroom but I think that was more to do with um, my inability to sit still and concentrate rather than actually my gymnastics. I, I do remember sitting in class and my mind wandering to the gymnastics hall what routines am I thinking about doing today or what new skills do I want to get in gym but um, I think for the most part it was just that school was not for me. And it was uh, very obvious throughout my entire school career that's, that that was the case. And I felt like as soon as I left school, I started to actually learn more and I started to pick up the books. I started to research just on my own accord. And um, that's where I really, uh, really started to learn after school. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems to me that when you're on the pommel, that when you're flying around on it, that it's almost like a freedom thing. It's like a massive release. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the whole goal of gymnastics is to make it look easy, to make it look aesthetically pleasing. And that is a product of a lot of like bad goes, failures, if you will. Um, 
and it, it certainly isn't easy and that whole process to get to that point certainly isn't easy but you know it's that finished product that you want to, to make it look effortless you wanted to make it look like you're levitating and floating around that pommel horse without effort but um yeah it is certainly a process to get to that point talk us through how much effort it takes to become so effortless and so light and so amazing on the pommel uh, commentators like to say that I've got such a natural swing about the pommel horse or I'm naturally gifted on this apparatus and I would completely disagree with that altogether. Um, if you picked out any little tiny thing, hand placements, leg form throughout that routine, I will be able to tell you exactly when we worked on that, exactly why we worked on it and it nothing came natural. Uh, maybe my overall understanding of gymnastics in general comes a little bit natural, but every everything that you see on the TV, on that routine, uh, on the pommel horse, um, I, I could tell you exactly where I've improved on that or what age I improved on it um, that has made that final product, um, like at World Championships, for example. It's such a hugely technical sport. You look at some of your routines that you do and you think like, okay, how many times did it take him to perfect that world championship routine? You know, you've done it many, many times before, but how many times did you get it as perfect as you did when you won the gold medal at the world championships in November? Quite a lot of times. How many times did you fail? Yeah, well, that was, yeah, that, that was um, going to be my next point. So I, I've been... I've done good routines quite a lot of times and that needs to be done, especially before you perform on the big stage. We we kind of have the luxury in gymnastics of knowing what we're going to do. Um, you know, a, a boxer steps into the ring, they, they don't know what their opponent's going to do. So we have the luxury of being able to know what we're going to do. So it kind of comes down to a mindset where you shouldn't have to change your routine or how much effort you give into a certain routine. But Outside of that, the reality is you're in this arena filled with, I know World Championships was 13,000 people. Um, there's a panel of judges there judging your routine, judging your gymnastics. The pressure is on. So it's all about trying to take what you've done in training, what what I've done in training hundreds of times, I've done that routine hundreds of times, and put it into that pressure situation. And hopefully the pressure doesn't get to you. Why did you choose the panel over all the other aspects of artistic gymnastics? I was always further ahead on the pommel horse. I was always doing these skills that the even the senior gymnasts could not do. Even when I was about 11 years old, I was doing some of the most difficult skills on the pommel horse. So it was obvious that that was my apparatus and I loved doing it. I, you know, it was just by far my favorites, but I, I still done all six of the events in men's gymnastics right up until I was 18 and I had to get shoulder surgery. Um, and then the, everything in sport moves so quickly. So the following year, I had to qualify to the Olympics. And there's a couple of routes that we can qualify. You could qualify through the all-around route, which is all six of the apparatus. Um, and because of the shoulder surgery, that was clearly out the window. So we had to try and qualify on the pommel horse. That was going to be our main uh, objective of the year 2019, was trying to qualify that spot to Olympics. And um, it was about rehab and recovering that shoulder to get back to doing a palmer team that I could perform at the 2019 World Championships and qualify a spot to the Olympics. And at what point did you have the Olympics on your radar? Was it from that little six-year-old kid when he started? Was it maybe the age 10, 11, 12-year-old when you saw how good you were getting and, and the skills that you had? Or maybe was it in more recent times that the Olympics was the main goal? 
I, I think when I was younger, I was very susceptible to having big dreams. Um, even when I'd done swimming, I remember before a race, trying to pretend it was the Olympic Games. Um, so that was a different sport. But as soon as I, of course, took up gymnastics and started taking gymnastics seriously, that was the same thing. When I was doing these many competitions um, in house uh, at the gymnastics club, uh, presenting to the coaches my routine, um, I was pretending it was the Olympic Games also. So, you know, those those dreams were there uh, right the way through my gymnastics career. But I never really took it serious until I was about 16 and then that's when I was starting to do these routines that were actually contesting these senior gymnasts these these guys that were best in the world you know I, I when I was 16 I placed on the podium behind Lewis Smith and Max Whitlock who, who were at the time the two number one and number two best pommel horse workers in the world so I think that was a little bit of a switch in my brain where I was like okay this is a reality now this, it, it is a, literally a reality that I could go to the Olympic Games and maybe even get a medal. And that's when the belief started to pick up. And then the next couple of years, you, you know, I, I gradually made the progressions. And then at the age of 18, two years later, I beat that Olympic champion. Twice, didn't you? Commonwealth yeah. Games and European Championships. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Crazy. I mean, it it was... A surprise in a way because you know I was so young in my career it was my first year in senior but at the same time it it didn't come as a surprise you know me and my coach know that we're putting out this routine that could contest the best in the world and take gold medals at any competition I go to so we make that decision in the training hall and uh, it's just about performing it on the day um so as a as a young me, me as the perspective as a young Reese McLennigan who just loves gymnastics to see I'm actually beating the Olympic champion now that's crazy but for me right now I'm like no this is where I should be and then in 2019 you were the first Irish gymnast to qualify for a world championship final and win a medal taking bronze and you were also the first Irish gymnast to compete in a European final and first to win a European medal as well I mean Reese, it seems to me like your first First, first, you're almost the trailblazer for every other gymnast that's coming behind you. Yeah, and it's a it's a very special position to be in. Um, I, you know, every major competition I go to, I'm more or less making history for the country and for gymnastics in this country. And that's it's super important for for young kids to see that because I know how much I took from seeing these gymnasts, even from other countries, going and winning medals and seeing how much these moments meant to them. You know, for an Irish gymnast to be doing that and hopefully inspiring younger Irish gymnasts and seeing that it's possible coming from this small island that we can take on the best in the world and dominate the sport, more or less, that that must be a special thing. So I'm I'm in a position that I do not take lightly, really. And um, it's certainly one of my main goals to make sure that the younger generation can come up and beat all of my achievements. I'm not going to make it easy for them. I want them to beat all my achievements. Um, but it's it's an exciting time, I think, for Irish gymnastics. And you're setting the standard very high. Yeah, certainly. But that that's that's what's needed. A standard switch is often what can be uh, the the trigger for success in a country. You know, take the I don't know Jamaican sprinters. You know, I'm sure as soon as Usain Bolt raised the bar high, there was so many more coming from under him and um, that standard was just raised. And I think that that's almost like a mentality switch that needs to be made um, from coaches, from, you know, 
people in gymnastics Ireland you know it's it's and and it's all happening I can tell you that it is all happening and it's it's an exciting time and then you did get to the Olympics um we were heartbroken for you when we saw what happened in the Olympics and I know you were heartbroken yourself but you picked yourself back up you still finished seventh in the Olympics despite that slight technical mistake I think it was at the second piece of the routine maybe talk us through what happened there um lots of us can see how fluid and flying you are and how effortless it is on the pommel but like the teeniest tiniest of errors can just be game over yeah I mean that yeah the finest of margins in this sport um and that's that's where I've come to learn that it's part of the sport really um one finger placement off had my finger just on the handle in the wrong way and that was enough to knock me off the pommel horse um so that's that's the kind of pressure that we have to deal with in those moments um and they take you by surprise certainly um but it is part of the sport it's about switching that disappointing situation into a positive feeling and a feeling that will will bring me back into the gym the the following week or the next day and have me more hungry for success more than anything and you know Failure can often be an opportunity where you can take it and learn from it in the best way possible. Uh, you know, I, I'm certainly learning from success as well, but I think failure you can learn from a lot more and take a lot more motivation for sure from failures. I think what captured the imagination of, of the Irish people on the day was it happened so early in the routine and you just had this composure to be able to get back up on the pommel horse and pretty much complete 95% of the routine that you should have done. And I think all of us were just like so proud of how you dealt with it in that moment and the performance then that you put in that you were actually able to get back up on the horse, literally. Yeah, Yeah, it's a a very tough thing to fall at the very start of a routine like that. And then you're more or less having to do the routine that would have got you a medal or maybe even made you Olympic champion um, if it weren't for that fall. Uh, you're pretty much restarting the routine. Um, so it's it's harsh. It's difficult. I had to repeat the skill that I fell on and I'd done it perfectly. But again, that's sport. That's just part of the journey. It's part of what makes gymnastics and sport exciting because you wouldn't, you wouldn't watch sport if you knew what's going to happen or you knew who's going to win. That's why you watch sport for those surprises I mean now I have the pleasure of making everybody feel nervous when they watch me (laughs) but it just makes it exciting it just makes it that is a perfect showcase of gymnastics the fact that anything can happen but you know now I've I've made it exciting in that way now I'm going to make it exciting by pulling off the best routines possible and speaking of nervous do you get nervous I mean pulling on the Irish the Irish Olympic kit to stand there in uh in Tokyo to perform for your country on the world's biggest stage like were you nervous yeah um although the olympic final i was surprisingly not nervous um so i don't know maybe maybe that had a play, part to play uh maybe i need to be more nervous but i'd say for most competitions i feel nervous but there's a there's a nice there's a nice balance that i like where i feel nervous but at the same time it feels just like training as soon as i around that 4 meter mat is unfamiliar territory around the pommel horse you know it's a uh, 13,000 people there's the judges there's uh, your competitors all lined up re- ready to go after you but once I kind of enter that four meter mat put my hands on the pommel horse I'm like ah yes I'm home 
And that that's just the exact feeling that you want to feel. And what's going through your head when you're doing the routine? Like, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the actual routine or are you just in the moment and in the flow? Would you con- Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, there, there's a bit of both. So your your mind, I think, automatically wants to go to that flow state where um, it's just that like flight, fight or flight mode. So you want to almost daydream, but it's a challenge to not do that, of course, because you need to focus on your points. And I feel like if there is a mistake on the palm horse, especially, uh, there's a lapse in focus. Um, and it, it's an apparatus where each skill just comes after the other. There's no stopping during the routine, whereas like on the on the floor exercise, you do one tumble pass and then stop, compose yourself, go again. Pommel horse is continuous, and I think that's why you see so many falls on pommel horse. In a pommel horse final, um, you know, even at world championships, there the two guys that were up before me just fell. Um, and it's very common, and I feel like that's that's the reason why it's so continuous. And if there's any lapse of focus, then you'll you'll definitely see it. And can I ask you a really silly question? Does it hurt when you fall off the pommel horse or are you so used to falling off that you've got a way of falling depending on what part of the routine it is that you fall off the horse in training? Yeah, I mean... It's, <laughs> Probably a really it, silly question. It depends. Some people would say the pommel horse is the most dangerous apparatus because it just strikes you when you're not expecting it. Even when you're doing skills flying, you know, three meters in the air doing double somersaults you can kind of tell when a skill is off and you can save it maybe land on your back or something to save it pommel horse just strikes and i think that's what we saw at olympic games with me it just hit me and then you're off you know you don't see that kind of domino effect of things going wrong um so you know there's people that have broke their ribs i've broken my fingers a couple of times just because of the way that you go to try and grab the handle so it, it strikes you at times you don't expect and can I ask as well, how do you decide what skills or what routine you're going to do? Like, just explain maybe to the listeners a little bit about that, because I think that's quite interesting as well. Um, I know you explained in one of your, your YouTube videos that routine that you did in the Olympics, maybe you did that again at the World Championships and you weren't happy with it, if I'm not mistaken. And so yeah. you went back to a previous routine. So maybe just talk to us a little bit about that to, to educate the listeners a bit about it. Yeah, so uh, a routine in all apparatus and gymnastics is made up of 10 skills and each of those skills have values. So the more difficult the skill is, the higher the value is going to be. And those are all written on what's called the code of points, which is more or less the gymnastics rules. So all of the registered skills are there. Um, so it's about having that fine line of doing difficult skills but not letting it have an effect on the execution of the routine there's two scores that go into a routine the difficulty score which is all of those skills points added up and then there's the execution where there's the judges are looking for mistakes legs apart bent legs uh, bent arms all of those aesthetic errors that they'll they'll take points off so it's finding that balance where you want to be doing the most difficult routine possible but also doing it very very well so how do you strike the balance then? Are there particular things that you're better on on Pommel than uh, somebody else's and vice versa? And so you would maybe try and go for the higher execution score on a skill like that to try and edge out the competition. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. Like, kind of yeah. Way? And it, it happens in a very natural way, actually, when you when you mention it like that. Everybody picks their own routines. You know, everyone could do the same routine, but they don't. They they work through their strengths. And um, that's why you get such a great variety of routines throughout all of gymnastics. And uh, it, ha- it happens very naturally in that way, which is really nice to see. 
Let's talk about the World Championships in November because it was the the end of the season. It was the culmination of of a great year. Um, it was just over a year after the disappointment of Tokyo. So maybe even before we talk about the World Championships, talk about the year you had after uh, Tokyo and then getting to the World Championship and becoming the World Champion. Yeah, you said it was a great year. I would describe it as a rough year. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was a it was a tough year. I would say. I'd say it yes. was difficult to come back and yeah. to face what had happened in the Olympics in in a mental perspective and in a self belief and kind of confidence perspective. I imagine, yeah. and to go out and try and I suppose prove to the world again that you are the best in the world and potentially are the best in the world when it comes to the Olympics. Yeah, um, yeah, it was the redemption year, I guess. Um, then uh, the word I was looking for. <laughs> we were we were certainly on a path to try and redeem myself after the Olympics, after the World Championships that were in twenty twenty one as well. That didn't go to plan, so it was a year kind of based around that. Around well, I mean, the goal is always the the same. We we try to go to every competition and try to win. And as I said, we make that decision in the training hall. We don't make it on the day of the competition. Um, so that's why I'm confident enough to say that right now. So it was all about that. It was all about maybe, you know, going through all of these three major championships that were this year. That was the Commonwealth Games, which we struggled to even get to. There was the European Championships and World Championships. Um, so yeah, I'll start with Commonwealth Games where that, you know, that went into political territory, which I am not familiar with at all. So it must have been so frustrating. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, we were told that we weren't going to the competition right up until two weeks before the competition. And then we're like, okay, well, I guess we're going. Um, We went there. Um, There was mistakes made in my competition, but I was still able to come away with a silver medal. And that's that's actually a position that I've always wanted to be in, uh, where I could make a big error in the routine and still come away with a medal. That shows that I'm really up there no matter what. But then there was the the European Championships and similar mistakes were made there, actually. Um, but the standard is much higher in Europe. So we knew that something needed needed to change when we we're going into World Championships. So that's when we made the changes to the routine. We saw a pattern of this one skill that was just causing all of the issues. And we took that out, put in a different skill, and it seemed to work completely in training. So the build-up was coming towards World Championships. We were feeling very good. I was happy. Coach was happy. And we felt very, very ready. And that's when World Championships happened. We flew through qualifications, qualified into the final in first, and pretty much just performed a, an identical routine as I did in qualifications to, to finals. Um, and that's exactly what you want to see, just that consistent gymnastics. And I feel like that consistency got me that that World Championship title. And of course, we were in the National Indoor Arena watching the final. I think it was, um, was it the National Championships or one of the events on in the mm-hmm. arena? And you could hear a pin drop when you did that performance, how did it feel when you dismounted knowing that you had pretty much done the perfect routine? I felt a lot of relief. Um, you know, it, you put I, I put a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I don't really feel the pressure from the thousands watching or the, the people relying on these results. Um, I, I feel the pressure from myself because I wanted so badly. And although you could label pressure as a negative thing um i certainly feel that pressure every single day when i go to training and that's what pushes me every day um and to to perform a routine under such circumstances like that is just a relief as soon as your feet hit the floor from that dismount 
relief goes through your body. All of those hours, all of those years even of gymnastics training have paid off in that one little tiny moment that that little 60 second routine it pays off then and there and it's a feeling that's that's quite un- indescribable actually uh but it's a certainly a feeling that I'm going to chase until the end of my gymnastics career it must take a huge amount of self belief to know that you can step up and and perform a routine absolutely perfectly yeah yeah uh, Belief was always ingrained in in my upbringing. My parents always believed that I could make it to the top of sport. They always um, reflected that on me. So it, it was only inevitable that I, I could have belief in myself just like they have in me. So my parents had a huge part to play in that. But then also, you know, like my coach, he, he has always had that belief. The first day I went to see Luke, he said to my mom, you know, he could be the best in the world. And to have that belief, at such an early point in my career, when I was only 14 years old, that's something that carries right to that moment where I'm performing a routine that does justify that I'm the best in the world. Let's talk about you and uh, Luke Carson for a minute, actually, because your success is dependent on his ability to to train you, to get you to perform at the highest level, to see where you're making mistakes, but to encourage and support you as well to, to be the best in the world. That relationship must be a very special one. It is, yeah, and we're we're certainly more like friends, um, and we have a very good dynamic in the gym. Um, I, you know, we may be friends, but he also certainly has my respect and my discipline. Um, when he when I pick up my phone in the gym and he tells me off for that, I'm throwing my phone straight away down and running over to the pommel horse. Um, so he certainly has my respect in that way, and um, uh, we work very very well as a team. We we communicate well. Uh, we're both very diligent in our practices. Um, he creates a an amazing program for me every single time for the competitions, and I follow them religiously. And that's why I feel like we've had a lot of success. So we've had to um, we've had to demonstrate our ambition to the to the rest of the world, and um, had to be the outliers really in this sport to be able to to create a nice clear pathway for the younger gymnasts to follow. So how have you built that relationship? How have you created that friendship, that brotherhood, yet that professional aspect where when he tells you to jump, you're not asking how high, you're literally jumping? Yeah, um, I guess it is just that that kind of being together so long and also just seeing what works and doesn't work. Uh, I know that the likes of the, the discipline aspect is very important in sports because it takes away what you know, I might deem difficult and might want to avoid. He's the person pushing pushing me from the outside to be able to be like, no, you need to do these condition exercises. I know they're hard, but you need to do them. And I need to be like, okay, I don't want to do them, but I do them. And um, it's the same with the programming. You know, having a good coach that you can communicate with like that makes the whole process so much easier. Are there ever days, Reese, where you go into the gym and you're like, oh my God, I just want a break. I just don't want to train today. I don't want to do this. I just want to go and go for a walk or go to the cinema or just take a break. Like, how do you find your release when you don't want to do something that's gymnastics related? (laughs) The Nike phrase, just do it, is a a very good one for that. But uh, in my words, I guess a lot of people would see that in order to take action, so to go into the gym, do do your workout 
you need to have motivation before that. But a lot of the time, just doing the action will actually spark that motivation and vice versa. So going to the gym, doing the difficult part of like getting in your car and driving to the gym is often enough for me to spark that motivation. As soon as I get the blood flowing around my body, even though I'm feeling rubbish that day, I'm maybe even feeling sick. As soon as I get warmed up, start conditioning, I'm like, okay, this isn't too bad. And often those days that I feel awful and do not want to go into the gym, when I drag myself into that gym, I have one of the best sessions ever. And I'm not sure why that is, but I just know that that is the case. So that's what always has brought me into the gym, even on my worst days. And, you know, in a sport that a lot of our listeners would be, would be in, triathlon, running, swimming, cycling, the hardest part is actually putting on your gear and getting yeah. out the door. So I guess it's it's quite similar for a world champion to uh, to do the same thing. From a training week perspective then, so you get into the gym, you're doing your routines. I know Luke is there quite a bit with you as well. He's there pretty much every single day. So what does a typical training week look like for you? Like, so you're in Dublin at the moment, uh, Monday to Friday or thereabouts and training every day in the gym. So talk us through what a, a typical day or a typical week might look like. And also, I think what would be quite interesting is um, how do you fuel your performances, like nutrition and food and things like that? I'd be very keen to hear that side of it as well. So maybe we look at the the typical training day slash week first and then maybe look at the fueling and, and nutrition that it takes. So like ever since I moved to Dublin and I was surrounded by this this great team um, at the Sports Institute in Dublin, you know, it, they've got the physios, the doctors, um, all of the nutritionists. Um, those are facilities that I didn't grow up with. Um, but as I said, it, before I even came to Dublin, it was almost like a full time job that I was doing from the age of 10 years old. So it was a it was a very good switch. And I feel like I've made that when I made that move to Dublin, my my profession was immediately gymnastics. So my training regime still consists of probably about four to five hours of training every day. But then with added, um, you know, physiotherapy. I have meetings with my doctors to make sure my health is in good condition. I do a lot of rehabilitation exercises in the fitness gym. There's a lot of strength and conditioning work. So I I, I almost couldn't even tell you how many hours a week I do. I just get the exercises done. If I'm if I finish my program early in the gymnastics center, even I'll I'll be done. And that's just the luxury that I have of of having this be my job now. And that's the physical aspect of it, really. So from the mental aspect then of it, how do you train your brain to be able to perform under pressure in front of those big arenas, in front of those big crowds and and the the big pressurized uh, environments? Do you have a psychologist, psychotherapist? Do you do meditation, mindfulness? You know, what do you do to help you continue to be able to perform at the highest level from a mental perspective? So I've always labeled the mental aspect of gymnastics um you know on top of everything i would almost say that uh gymnastics is 80 percent mental and 20 percent physical um and even without uh with the physical aspect of it you need that mental capacity to be able to to train your body to do that um so i i've always labeled the the mental mentality and psychology behind gymnastics very strongly um so i i was already on that path of improving my psychology as much as I could but now I I have the luxury of being able to 
to have a psychologist on here in Dublin. I work with um, Jesse Barr and it's great just to kind of have that once every week, once every two weeks catch up where I can just solidify these ideas that I've I've had to improve my mentality in this sport. Um, and it's going to be constantly evolving. It's important that I, I recognize that and that everybody else recognizes that, that you're never actually going to, to make it in your psychological journey. You're never going to be like, oh, well, that's done now i understand everything about my mind it's a continual evolution of this um of this process and uh that's always going to to continually improve hopefully in my gymnastics career the big question i have for you then as well is uh, what do you do for fun outside of gymnastics yeah so there's there's not many tasks that you can choose that aren't physically demanding i would love to be able to go out and do other sports on top of gymnastics but I know that coach would be mad. My body would be mad at me as well. <laughs> but um, I guess for now, especially in the wintertime, and uh, I, I live with my teammates down here in Dublin and we just kind of hop on Xbox now. Um, I try to read as much as I can. Um, I yeah try to try to educate myself as well because uh, of course I, I'm not in school anymore. So I'm, it's up to me to try and educate myself, but I enjoy it. I really do. You mentioned your teammates there, Adam Steele and Eamon Montgomery. For a long time, you trained on your own in the gym. What's it like now going into training or going into work with uh, two guys that are going to push you very hard and you're going to push them as well? Yeah, it's a great dynamic. Um, I, I feel like I reap the rewards um, of training by myself. It's certainly helped my focus uh, towards gymnastics. But now having these two guys uh, you know, live with me, we're all living the same lifestyle, which is very important and training together we all push each other so if one of us is having a bad day we're going to be sure to try and push that one person to to be the best they can be and say you know it goes the same for all of us so the fact that we all have that same end goal of trying to get to the 2024 olympics there's a very special feeling that you get when you train alongside people that have the same goal as you and um, i'm glad to be a part of that team and reese if i could ask you what is the biggest lesson you have learned in sport Probably that it reflects life a lot more than I would have thought. Um, the the things that I learned growing up in sports um, and still am learning, I know that I will be able to translate that into regular life um, as much as I can. Um, you know, even, I don't know, things with relationships or uh I don't know anything anything pertaining to anything outside the gym I can I can learn skills that I've used inside the gym to contribute to that in a positive way and um, certainly the fact that sports drags you through the mud makes your days very challenging but you always you always reap the rewards from that in some way. Do you thrive on those challenges Reese? like if life was easy do you think would you enjoy it as much? Oh most certainly not no I feel I feel like suffering is inevitable in life um and it's 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 about embracing that honestly it's about embracing that suffering that pain and knowing that it's going to have that that yin and yang sense to it where you know the the chaos of dragging your body through these very difficult workouts is obviously going to inevitably switch into this positive into that order of you being physically fit your mind being physically fit so every single day i look forward to to putting my body and mind through that chaos uh speaking of chaos moving off the pommel 
and on to some of the other aspects of artistic gymnastics. We've seen you do a lot on the floor over the past few weeks and months, especially if, if people follow you on, uh, on YouTube and on Instagram. So have you plans for the floor potentially in the future or is that just another bit of fun in gymnastics or is there potential there for more competition? Yeah, a, a bit of both. A bit of both. Um, I feel like the floor is something that takes my mind off pommel a good bit. It it's, breaks apart that monotonous feeling of just having to go to pommel horse every single day. Even though I, I still absolutely love it, I just don't want to um, to make myself sick of it. But at the same time, I, I'm training a floor routine that is you know up there with the highest difficulty in the world. Um, I'm landing on my bum a lot on floor. I'm getting a newfound respect for floor for sure. But uh, again, that's just part of that process. And who knows, maybe the next Olympic cycle, I think, might be the one for, for competing floor. But I'm certainly still training it. Um, I'm actually next week going to just compete in a in a trial alongside the other guys for these World Cups and see what happens. Is it good for your physical preparation for the pommel to be doing the floor? Like yeah, it's good for general fitness. I'm always I'm always really gassed after I do a floor routine. It's very different fitness compared to pommel, where it's more like muscular endurance in your arms. Um, but for in terms of generally being fit and having that um cardiovascular endurance, that that certainly helps for sure. And tell me, Reese, who is your biggest inspiration? I say my coach and my parents is my go-to answers, but in terms of um in terms of sport and gymnastics uh there's so many names uh, i mean in sports I, I feel like katie taylor is such a great role model for myself there's somebody that breaks down barriers that nobody has ever reached and she's the greatest of all time like how how is that not talked about more in my opinion so katie for sure and then in the gymnastics world the the greats the kohei uchimura from japan he's now retired but um he won seven back-to-back world titles and that's just unheard of two olympic all-around titles as well he's the greatest of all time i actually got the pleasure of training alongside him just before he retired as well so that was a a dream come true and reese can i ask you a question about the future beyond participating in the sport of gymnastics so you're going to be 24 this year is that right yeah Um, so how long does your career potentially last until you know is it into your 30s maybe um I don't want to be that gymnast that retires on an injury for sure, or I, I want to always be healthy. I know that's a difficult thing to do in gymnastics or in sport in general. Uh, that's something that stood out to me at Olympics as well. Anytime I ask people, you know, when you're just saying hello to somebody, you're like, well, how are you? Are you healthy? Everyone is like, no, I'm not healthy. Um, and then listing all of their injuries all over their body. But I don't want to be that that person or that gymnast. So we'll see how far my body takes me i'm i'm thinking low 30s but then again the guy that came third on pommel at the world championships was 38 he was the he was the oldest world gymnastics medalist uh there's ever been so um he was an exception maybe <laughs> do you see yourself as a coach as a commentator you know where would you like to go or have you even thought about the future in sport beyond participation yeah, I would I would definitely like my chances as a coach. Uh, I feel like it would be giving back to the gymnastics community. It would be using my knowledge that I've gained throughout the years. It, f- it would almost feel silly of me to go off on a different career path. 
but um, just with all of the knowledge I have of gymnastics in general. But I, I feel like I would really enjoy coaching. Um, Luke has inspired me uh, to do that because I've seen how much he enjoys it and um, how much how much you get from seeing young kids progress and you know it, it find it find the joy in the sport that I love so much as well um I would love to do that and last year I got my my coaching qualifications so um I'm excited for that does that coaching qualification help with your own attitude towards Luke and the coaching he's trying to instill in you and the performances you're trying to get because you know maybe the science behind it now from having a coaching qualification yeah I feel like when it's it's almost similar to like passing your driving test um, where, you know, you, you, you get your license, but then you actually only start to learn once you start to drive by yourself. Uh, I feel like that's what coaching will be like, where you only start to learn once you have gymnasts in front of you and then you're taking them through that process. That's when you're going to learn uh, the individuals, you know, how important your role is for a coach. I would have seen my coach more than I would have seen my parents growing up. So it's it's certainly not just a job or a, even a career. You're you're their guardian in a sense. Like and a vocation. Yeah, for sure. So I I look forward to that though as well. Uh, Reese, I've just realised that I did ask you a two pronged question when I asked you about your training routine um, and about your working yes. week in the gym. But we never finished on the question about fueling. So how do you fuel all that training and all that activity uh, that you have in the gym every day? I mean, a good diet is always going to fuel me well, um, fuel the mind well too. And that's something I do work with a nutritionist with. I'm not one to really count calories or um, get it. I feel like I would get obsessed about it if I was to do that. Then, um, you know, I, I, I'm tracking them today, actually. Um, so it happens to be just to kind of keep ticking over. But it's something I don't want to do throughout the entire year. So um, because I, I feel like I would see too much of an impact on my gymnastics from that. Like, have I fueled enough? Or if I've missed some something in a meal, then, you know, it might play on my mind a bit. What do you eat on a daily basis then? What would be like your breakfast, lunch and dinner style food? So breakfast would always be big, big enough breakfast. I know that a lot of people aren't aren't fans of breakfast, but I'm certainly a fan of it. Um, I would have about three eggs in the morning. Um, you know, even some some pancakes, fruits, cup of tea, coffee, and then in the in the afternoon it would be full full meals for for lunch and dinner with like rice, a good balance, just a, a good balance of rice for the carbohydrates, a lot of chicken or meat for the protein, uh, and then a bunch of vegetables mixed in with that. So those three things are are the guidelines that my nutritionist always gives me and um i'm trying to stick to it as much as possible and in the house who does the cooking between yourself and adam and uh Eamon? uh well we're kind of all like doing our own thing <laughs> uh we we're all kind of um there's the odd night though that adam will be like oh let me cook this for you and it's it's good so we're we're not always waiting on one person to cook us meals or anything <laughs> um and we're we're trying to improve on our cooking skills i know i am going into this year that's going to be one of my resolutions and of course, this year is the big year for qualification to Paris 2024. So one one or two final questions for you. What would it mean to you to win Olympic gold in Paris? Everything. Everything. That's the that's the end goal in, in my sports. There's nothing beyond this. Um, the, the Olympic gold is the pinnacle, the very tippy top. 
um world winning that world championship gold medal is you know that's the top also uh there's going to be the same competition at that world championships as there is at, at the olympic games but the olympic games only comes around four times or four times i wish <laughs> once every four years um so it's it's that added pressure to that moment um and I, I love the pressure. I love the fact that I get this other opportunity to compete at the Olympic Games or to first things first, I need to qualify. Um, but I, that that's the top and I, I'm certainly aiming for the top. What will it take to win? Hopefully everything I've described in this talk, the, the importance of uh, understanding the failures in gymnastics, dedicating my life to this sport as I have um, from a very young age, Hopefully that is enough to to take me home that that gold medal, and then also just performing that routine on the day. Like ultimately, that's what it is: getting that sixty seconds routine done as clean as I can, um, performing it as I do in training, and hopefully the results shall follow. When you say it like it's it's sixty seconds, that that's all it is. Your whole career success depends on sixty seconds. Yeah, yeah. I certainly i I envy team sports and footballers in a sense because they can mess up a pass or even a, a shot on target um if i do that that's game over for me <laughs> there's no second chances there's no there's no bringing it back um you know it's that 60 seconds that counts and i need to make it as perfect as possible going into the olympics and we're going to take it that you're going to qualify going into the olympics and even into i suppose the qualification aspect of it do you feel as the world champion you've a target on your back now and that like you're the one that everyone has to beat or are you kind of taking it in your stride that like you know you're good you know you've got a great routine you just need to continue to show that and continue to get better every day yeah i mean I, I am the standard now for the rest of the world. So that that's one thing. It's it's another thing that I'm I'm really paying attention to it, which I'm not. Um it's you know, it ultimately it does just come down to what I do. I can't affect what anybody else does on that palm horse. I can't affect what the judges do on their score sheets. I can affect what I do though. And um that that focus just on myself and not caring what anybody else around me is doing is is a very important skill that I've I've only really started to focus on on the, like the last half of last year and I'm certainly taking it into this year and uh, right up until the Olympic Games um, where it's just I, I'm being selfish and focusing on me. Um, I, I should be I should be a narcissist when it comes to the pommel horse. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. What are you most proud of? In, in terms of results, definitely that World Championship gold medal. Um, it, it was just such a great representation of of working our way to the top. Uh, you know, we we done the Commonwealth Games title, we done the European title, we got to the Olympics, we made the Olympic final. It didn't quite happen. Um, for me, that like World Championship title was the finish to a chapter. Um, uh, I said it uh, at the Gymnastics Ireland Awards that. I wasn't quite happy finishing the chapter in my head. The chapter wasn't finished after the Olympic Games there. I wanted it to be, but it wasn't. It felt like I was just like, God, oh, this doesn't seem right finishing it there. Um, so after this year, I feel like that was just a nice close to that. I've done it. I've conquered the world. Now let's look at this next chapter. What does it look like? And I can't wait to see what it looks like. 
Well, I know I can't wait to see what it looks like. And I know that the majority of the country probably can't wait to see what that looks like as well. Um, a big fan favourite for those who follow gymnastics and those who don't actually follow gymnastics. So you did certainly capture the heart of the nation with your success over recent years. I wish you every success for the future. I can't wait to see what happens over the next few months. And thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joanne. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website, www.trytalkingsport.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We now have over 100 episodes, so there's no shortage of inspiration and motivation to choose from. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and on Instagram. And if you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please pop me an email on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I really would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Thank you.